0: Hi right, everyone, here we go. So I usually wait till the weekend to record an episode. Uh but some things transpired that made me feel like I had to get an episode out right away. I would have done this yesterday, but my faithful blue yeti microphone finally started the fail last night or maybe just got sick of listening to me drone on for 3 years. Uh but I ordered a new microphone last night through Amazon, and it came today. So no script. I'm completely winging it here. All I have is a list of links to some news articles or uh, academic studies that I want to include. And I just want to warn you guys right off the bat that this episode is bound to offend some of you out there. And that's because I'm going to be tackling the very controversial subject of race. It's something I might discuss on the show once in a while, perhaps tangentially. Um, This is a podcast that's supposed to be dedicated to looking mostly at religion, uh, also philosophy, uh, perhaps current events. From an atheist or skeptical perspective. And sometimes race might come up if I'm talking about science and human evolution, or maybe something racist that some crazy pastor said in the news or something. Or even um, recently I discussed the Dylan Roof case. And this actually kind of ties into that. For those of you who listened to that episode or or watched the video version on YouTube, You'll know that the lion's share of the video was basically me uh siding with atheist Rue, aka Atheism is unstoppable on his critique of uh Jank and some what I would say less than honest or at least less than accurate statements Jenk had made regarding the judge in the Dylan Roof case. And for my longtime listeners, and maybe for you new listeners, too, who've just started listening a few episodes ago, you might be thinking, what's with you and this kangaroo guy? This is like the third episode in a row. Well, it's one of those things, you know, I subscribed to Atheism is Unstoppable and happened to mention his channel on the show, and then I sided with him regarding that story I just mentioned. Well, it's just something that happens sometimes. You know, I'll discuss something on the show, and then maybe because I feel the need to answer some feedback or something like that, you end up talking about the same subject for another episode or two, and it's one of those situations where you feel like you really can't move on to the next thing till you tie up some loose ends or whatever. Uh, maybe similar to remember when I did about two or three episodes on GamerGate. And I received this feedback. I had to keep addressing the feedback and the controversy. Um, But then eventually I was able to put it to rest. I remember I got in trouble for uh, poking fun of uh, Rebecca Watson and Elevator Gate, and I ended up losing a very good and devoted friend of the show over that. She thought my views weren't feminist enough even though I think I took a very even-handed approach to the subject matter. Uh, well, this time I caught the ire of Atheist Rue uh, for something I said in last week's episode. So a good chunk of last week's episode was just me reading uh, and answering feedback from uh, Atheist Roo's Flying Monkeys, and I was kind of rejoicing in the fact that a lot of the flying monkey, uh, feedback was actually quite positive. And despite all the kind of mindless thumbs down, the flying monkey, and for any of you who are confused out there, uh, flying monkeys are what Devin calls his kind of his minions, his devout followers or listeners, uh, that will s- sometimes go out and, uh, give thumbs down to his opponents on YouTube. But those flying monkeys that actually took the time to watch my video actually realized that I wasn't being antagonistic towards Atheism is Unstoppable, quite the contrary. And a lot of them actually liked the content and subscribed and told me they planned on sticking around, which is pretty cool. And actually, I got a very positive comment from Atheism is Unstoppable on um, last week's video where I think it was last week's video but I, he replied recently a couple of days ago to either the Dylan Roof video or last week's video and he was very gracious he uh good-naturedly apologized for all the flack I caught from his overzealous flying monkeys <laughs> and he said indeed that his inclusion of my clip in one of his videos Uh, was meant to be a a kind of positive thing that um, he did see me as being kind of an ally or being friendly towards him. And uh, the flying monkeys just kind of took it the wrong way and ran with it. But then he left another uh, comment on my YouTube channel a day or two ago, maybe the same day he left that one, and the tone was completely different. He said he was 40 minutes into last week's video, and I had said something about race that got under his skin. He basically thought I was being too uh, PC, or I don't know if he coined this term or not, but he uses the term regressive, which basically is just a pejorative term for a uh, so-called progressive individual who he views as being kind of... um, overly PC, or not seeing things as they uh, truly are. I guess kind of like a social justice warrior. But I guess a good place to start is I should just open up YouTube now and go to the comments section, and I can read some of the most recent commentary from um, Flying Monkeys and fans in general, and I'll also read the feedback from Rue. And then I'll go from there, okay, so here's the feedback from rue the positive feedback and and this was posted in the comments section for um the Dylan roof video episode one sixty two uh t y t versus atheist rue and he writes. Sorry for the napalm raid. My flying monkeys sometimes get excited. I thought it was obvious that you were a friend to me and my channel and that you should have received exclusive monkey love. It's pretty funny. I enjoyed your videos, including the still and roof one, which will probably not surprise you. Forgive the flying monkeys. They know not what they do. And I replied, you're the best man. Thanks for taking the time to reach out. Exclamation mark. Smiley face emoticon. Now I'll go to episode 163 Buddhism and Flying Monkeys. Okay, so here's the negative uh one from Atheist Rue. Uh, yeah, so get ready. This one the, <laughs> the tone's quite different. 40 minutes in, you reveal your true regressive colors. And your beta male stance on the situation of black crime riddled communities was the most pathetic white guild riddled nonsense I've heard in years. Well, that's bombastic right there. He's constantly uh, ripping into people. And and I doubt whatever I said about race, which I'll get to, was the most pathetic thing uh, he's heard in years. I'm sure in his opinion, Jacqueline Glennon and and many others have, have said far more pathetic things. Uh but then he says, what a complete and total joke from a person who doesn't think and this is uh this isn't the usual double quotes, this is like the British quotes or the quotes within quotes. Race is a real thing. Lol, shaking my head. Who is committing the crime? Black people or white slave traders from hundreds of years ago. Nice moral accountability, nice excuse-making, nice white guilt. Sad. Fail. Okay, then I replied, Hey Rue, no, I'm very anti-white guilt, which I am. I don't think whites should feel responsible for what other whites did 200 years ago. I'm Italian and Irish. My ancestors weren't even here yet. That being said, I think the past does help to explain the present, if that makes sense. And so this actually carried over to Twitter. I'll see if I can find that now. Oh, this must have been before the interaction turned a little sour. I tweeted, You are a marsupial with a heart of gold. Thanks for reaching out on YouTube. And he replied, uh, comically, anything to pry you off of the teat of jank. I can't find my initial tweet, but I, uh, tweeted something to the effect that I think you misconstrued my stance. Something to the effect of why I said on YouTube that, that white people shouldn't be made to feel guilty about things that happened a couple of centuries before they were born. Uh, or at least uh, we go back to, you know, the Civil War, uh, mid-19th century, and, of course, I'm talking about slavery. And joking around, I use the uh, hashtag white guilt. And then the second thing I tweeted was, but it would seem logically that the past does influence or help to explain the present. Hope we can remain friendly. Peace. And just to clarify things, what I said about race... And why I brought it up was that uh, about 40 minutes into that video, as I was reading feedback from Flying Monkeys, one person said, and I'm paraphrasing, you may not believe in race or think that it's socially divisive, you know, as a concept or whatever. Um, And they apparently didn't like that because they continued to say But you should still make certain that you know if you're in, you know, a white neighborhood versus a black neighborhood versus a mestizo neighborhood or what have you. And I think the point he was he was making is that whatever kind of liberal erudite enlightened ideas we might have about race, the idea of race or whatever still has real consequences. And that's actually what I was saying is that. I tend to be kind of dubious or wary of the term race, because not only do I think, because it's, I think it's divisive, but scientifically it's questionable. And I think I actually read a scientific article last week, I think, on the show that was talking about the fact that many scientists don't even think that race is an accurate term and because all quote-unquote racial groups are so close genetically that it doesn't even really make sense, according to some scientists, to use it. As corny as it sounds, we really are just one race, the human race. But I'm going to get into some controversial stuff about the differences between certain quote-unquote uh, racial groups, uh, ge- genetic differences, that's definitely going to get... Uh, some people's eye are up but i think he just didn't realize it but that critic and myself were actually on the same page in a sense that i think even if race is just a man-made construct and we're all just the same species we're so we're so close genetically it's not even worth categorizing us into races race as a concept is still very real it's a very powerful and divisive concept. People do categorize themselves and others based on things like ethnicity, skin color. And like I said last week, you're damn right. If, you, if you're if you lily white like I am and you find yourself alone in a black neighborhood at night, you very well might have reason to fear because you're a member of the out group on this other group's turf and you ain't got the same skin color. You know what I mean? And this other... Examples like that you could use with, uh, you know, pick your skin color or ethnicity of of choice. And so from there, and uh, maybe I was being a little too uh, Libby or whatever, or PC, I don't know. But from there, still responding to that person's criticism, I said something to the effect that I didn't think certain minority groups are entrenched in crime and poverty because they're genetically inferior or they're born stupid or something like that, but that there were probably socioeconomic uh, causes or factors. And so I did mention things like slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, not being a not trying to be a bleeding heart liberal or trying to make white people feel guilty. It was more just me trying to logically paint a picture of why maybe things are the way they are for this one particular group, African-Americans and why so many of them live in impoverished, uh, crime infested areas or neighborhoods. And So to me, it seemed logical to think that that all those factors from the past about the way, you know, how this one particular group started out as slaves, then even after they earned their freedom, they were still marginalized and had to face um, racism. And yes, racism is real, even if race isn't, you know, uh, because like I said, people do look at others as inferior or as the other simply because of the color of their skin. And so I wasn't trying to guilt anyone. I was just trying to logically say that these might be some of the factors to help explain why this group isn't experiencing social and economic parity with a- another group, you know? And I could be wrong. You know, I was speaking pretty much off the cuff, just replying to these comments as I went, and kind of thinking out loud. Okay, and now, straight, now here's a guy who's probably maybe simpatico in a sense with Devin. Uh, he also took issue with some of the things I said about race, and but but he actually couched his criticism in in a really polite, well worded way. And uh, his YouTube handle is CCD Image, <clears throat> and CCD. I, I I was raised Catholic. I had to go to CCD. It might not be the same CCD. <laughs> I'm probably totally naive. Someone will explain it to me later on. But uh, what, what CCD stand for? Confraternity of Christian or Catholic? doctrine or some shit like that but (laughs) i had to go to that for a long time and then they extended it by like two years when i got into high school and it went beyond confirmation i believe um so i know everything you need to know about catholicism and then some but you go without saying i'm a non-believer all right but ccd image says uh First up, I subbed after the AIU video. I should have pushed the thumb up button then, but I didn't. I have corrected that oversight. So now comes some potential monkey poop. <laughs> it is not that I disagree with your video, but I just feel like focusing on one things. Th- one thing probably means that I see a wrong about just after the forty. Where well, there it is, the forty-one minute forty-second mark. You say you don't think African Americans are, quote-unquote, not as intelligent. This is factually incorrect, as far as I am aware. There is an IQ difference between African Americans and white Americans. It seems from what I can tell to be 15 points or more. This is a substantial difference. If me saying this is considered racist, then the facts are racist. It may be an uncomfortable fact but it is not racist. As far as I am aware there's a negative correlation between intelligence and criminality. Low IQ people are more criminal. This is something I've been thinking about. If we are happy to say things like this is a negative cor- If we are happy to say things like there is a negative correlation between home ownership and criminality and there's a low home ownership by African Americans then the link is made, so the claim is that a root problem for criminality by African Americans is identified as poverty. Now consider, there is as much evidence for a poverty link as root cause, maybe the low IQ of African Americans needs some consideration. Maybe we can trace the low home ownership and poverty back to the low IQ. Low IQ, higher delinquency. Higher delinquency, lower home ownership. Then I initially replied, "Hey, thanks for watching slash commenting. I'll research the i q thing Thanks for subscribing by the way and then, after I did some research and and uh there are some disturbing academic studies out there, and I don't and by academic studies, I don't mean um like David Duke started a university in his basement or something <laughs> I mean legitimate academic studies and and so- uh in scientific papers on this stuff about how there does actually seem to be a difference in IQ between different quote-unquote racial groups. And from what I sussed out, it seems supposedly to have something to do with head size. It sounds so ridiculous, like we're talking about like gray aliens or something. But supposedly, the, the bigger the head is, the bigger your IQ is in a sense. Um, And I imagine it probably has something to do with head size to body proportion because I think there are cases where a creature can have a relatively large brain and not be terribly intelligent. I think if I remember correctly, um, and please, if I get this wrong, I'm just going from memory, feel free to correct me and let me know. That Neander, I used to say Neanderthal growing up, but apparently it's Neanderthal, or at least that's the more popular pronunciation now. But Neanderthal supposedly had a fairly large brain, but but it most likely shouldn't be taken as a sign of high intellect. It was more that they needed a large brain to kind of drive their their incredibly bulky musculature. They're supposedly uh very big boned <laughs> and uh and heavily muscled, but in homo sapiens it seems that yeah the the bigger your head is in proportion to your body there's some correlation with i q and supposedly on average whites score better than african americans um but asians east asians uh score better than whites um and supposedly on average, there is a difference in head size. And while I said at the top of the show that I was going to say some things that were probably going to upset some people, here we go. And believe I'm not just going to let it go with that. Uh, in a little bit, I'm going to read from some articles so you guys can kind of hear and, and judge for yourselves. And at the end, I'll conclude with what I think we should take away from all this stuff. And as you can probably guess, at the end of the day, it's not going to change how I view my fellow human beings and how I think that we should treat each other. But uh, the reason why I'm going over this stuff, I think it's very important not to let political correctness get in the way of the facts. So if the facts lead you to a a disturbing place, then even if it's not pleasant, you still got to follow them if you're interested in the truth. And I know on face value this sounds like, you know, we're going backwards and into racial pseudoscience and eugenics and uh things like that. But like I said, I will read those articles. So I replied to CCD image again. I said, hey, I just wanted to touch base with you. My next video is going to be on race. I've been researching the IQ thing. The findings are somewhat disturbing, but looks like you were right. There seems to be a correlation between IQ and head size. And certain quote-unquote racial groups appear to have different head sizes, thus different IQs on average. Thanks for keeping me honest. And it looks like um, he actually replied back and he says... This is a controversial topic, so tread lightly. There is some interesting information out there, but it needs to be taken with a grain of salt. One interesting resource is IQ by Country. This is not a perfect data set, but it is a good, rough guide. The authors did rely on a limited data set, and a few of the places they investigated are skewed from what I have read, but I think generally it is not a bad resource. And then he provides a link. It may be also worth considering if there is a genetic and cultural link to IQ and if there's a negative correlation between IQ and delinquency, which seems to be the case, what is to be done? To my mind, there's no solution that would be acceptable. We can't just go into a population and alter the genetics. And even attempting to manipulate a culture is somewhat objectionable. And so, yeah, things are getting uncomfortable, man. (laughs) But um, I want to kind of reiterate that or maybe not reiterate, because I don't think I stated this yet, that we're dealing with averages and generalities here, even if this stuff does prove to be true. Uh, all of us probably, I don't want to be mean, all of us probably know some white people that aren't the sharpest uh, knife in the draw, and all of us know members of minority groups, or specifically African Americans, who are very intelligent and I feel racist even saying that, you know, like, like I'm pointing out the exception, but I've known a lot of people of Latino and African origin who are very bright. When I went back to school for graphic design, um, a lot of the kids I went to school with were uh black or Latino and I, I don't want to drag a personal friend into this, so I don't want to say their name. But, you know, I'm from a small New England town, and I grew up with someone who happens to be African-American and uh, both his parents, African-American, his his mother, a uh, college professor. Um, and he's probably smarter than I am. Uh, just a really good guy, funny, extremely intelligent and witty and intellectual um so we're dealing with averages here and and speaking in generalities um if you find yourself in the classroom and you're flanked you know by two people, one student's white and one students black, you can't just assume that the uh the white guy's the better one to cheat off of. you know, we're all unique individuals. And although, you know, 10 or however many IQ points it is on average, that's different. It doesn't mean that a person who happens to be black that you meet at, you know, a cocktail party or that you meet on the street or that's behind the counter at the store. It doesn't mean that person isn't intelligent. But, Still, we should, you know, explore and sort through these facts and see where they take us. They might take us somewhere we don't want to go, but even if it turns out to be the worst case scenario and these findings are true, it doesn't change the fact that whether or not certain groups have on average a lower IQ, it doesn't change the fact that they're human beings, doesn't change the fact that that group is comprised of individuals, uh many of whom are capable of incredible things, you know? So, man, I, I am trying to be as delicate as I can with this subject matter. Usually I wouldn't even talk about this stuff, but uh, other people brought it up, you know? And uh, and I so I feel like... Uh, and I'm not blaming this commenter. They're really polite. And uh, I'm very thankful for them, you know, being nice and interacting with me and actually getting me to think and question things. Um, So I don't resent them for bringing up these questions. And also, you know, Rue brought up the whole thing about race when he kind of thought that my my opinion on race uh, as of last week made me a regressive beta male. And I resent that. If I'm a beta, I'm the leader of the betas. I'm a master beta. Uh, you knew it was coming. I had to make a joke, but, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, but to touch on that thing that kind of, uh, got Rue going where I mentioned slavery, segregation, Jim Crow and stuff like that. So I wasn't saying that every white person should, you know, fill up a wheelbarrow with money and possessions you know, and tape a uh, piece of paper that says reparations to the side of it and go out in the street and find the nearest black person and, you know, beg for forgiveness and uh, for enslaving them and and dump all your riches at their feet. Um, I'm not saying that anyone alive today should feel bad or responsible for slavery, but I'm saying, that you know, everything is cause and effect in a way. And things that happened in the past do tend to kind of echo down uh, the generations. It doesn't mean... Rue's not responsible for slavery. He wasn't alive. I'm not responsible for slavery. Uh, I'm the product of, like, Ellis Island-era immigrants, Irish and Italian, and those people weren't treated very well when they first came here. They were looked at as subhuman. Um, You know, and there's... uh, the ugly stereotype of people comparing black people to monkeys and apes and drawing these kind of grotesque caricatures. Look it up, the similar caricatures that were aimed at the Irish when they first came here. Irish were seen as being less than human. Uh, They were seen as being dirty and uh, monkey-like. Signs were put in windows that said, Irish need not apply Italians were looked at probably almost like some people look at uh, Hispanics or Latinos, these swarthy strangers, you know. Um, but I'm I'm pale as could be. I'm blonde and blue-eyed. But I think it's partly because one of my Italian uh, great-grandfathers was from northern Italy, Parma. Um, but I think Rue seemed to react as if by me saying that maybe one of the reasons why African-Americans have a higher crime rate and higher poverty levels has something to do with their history in this country. Um, He seemed to take that as, as, as if I was saying that means black individuals aren't culpable or responsible for the criminal acts uh, they commit, those who do um, in the present. And that could be further from the truth. I believe ultimately You know, at the end of the day, we're all shaped by our our environment and our experiences. No one is born and exists in a vacuum, unless maybe like you're a bubble boy or something. But you know, there's factors, genetic, environmental, whatever, that help to shape all of us. Uh, But at the end of the day, and it kind of sucks, but. That doesn't let you off the hook if you do something bad. You know, um, there's a lot of people who have horrible childhoods, whatever color, you know, Um, and they end up becoming criminals. uh, But that doesn't their bad childhood, whether, you know, their parent held their hand to a hot stove or did whatever to them that doesn't excuse their behavior. At the end of the day, you still have to take personal responsibility for your actions, even though you were shaped by other forces, if that makes sense. And I guess you could kind of say like, um, you know, a lot of serial killers had absolutely horrendous upbringings. You know, it's usually thought there's kind of like a, a cocktail of factors or a couple of factors that mixed together to make a serial killer it's usually someone that's maybe predisposed towards psychopathy or something like that um and i guess even now terms like psychopath and sociopath aren't perhaps as scientifically valid as they used to be but yeah but just to put in layman's terms uh someone who's predisposed for psychopathy you know someone who seems to lack empathy and compassion. Although now they think, I think, uh, who's the guy? He's an atheist and he's, uh, I think he's a psychologist or something like that. Is it Steven Pinker? Um, but he talked about, uh, was it him? Uh, it might not have been Pinker, but I was listening to an interview Sam Harris did with someone recently. Um, and they were talking about how Contrary to popular belief, actually, psychopaths might possess or so-called psychopaths might possess a very high level of empathy, but it's a different type of empathy. It's not like a compassionate kind of empathy. It's more the ability to kind of read other people and know or, or suss out what's going on with that, within them. But instead of treating them with, with compassion, figuring out how you can use that to your own personal advantage. But if you think about it, usually like a serial killer or something like that, it's thought that it's a combination of a predisposition to psychopathy and usually like a bad home life. So it doesn't, I mean, not that's not always the case. Um, there are some people who do horrible things who had a, a privileged you know, background. But so even if you're this person who had a horrible, abusive childhood, if you end up turning into some kind of mad slasher or serial killer or something, that doesn't excuse you know, your, your behavior. You still have to answer for your crimes. So to reiterate, I probably sound like a broken record. I think there's things that shape us, but at the end of the day, you have to take responsibility for your own actions. The buck has to stop somewhere. I mean, if we want to be overly philosophical and gaze at our own navels, you could probably go backwards ad infinitum. You could enter an almost infinite regress. You know, we could go back towards the the first single-celled organism and say the first single-celled organism was responsible for black crime or something, you know, but eventually the buck has to stop somewhere. There probably are, there probably are, at least partly, you know, socioeconomic and historical factors, why black people are immersed in uh, poverty and and crime. But if you rob a liquor store and and kill someone in, in in the process, you still have to answer that. We don't give you a lollipop and say, oh, I'm sorry, 200 years ago or whatever, you know, your people were enslaved. Oh, it's kind of funny. Uh, one of the dudes with a uh, Picard facepalm avatar, uh, Almighty Z. I kind of, I half jokingly just kind of ribbing him. I read a comment uh, he made uh, regarding the, uh, I think the Dylan Roof episode, <laughs> and I read it like, you know, it it, it could be taken kind of ominously. And he replied, the comment was not that ominous. I will be keeping an eye out for your videos, meaning I subbed as I like to get information from various sources, not I will be keeping an eye on you, so watch your step. That's funny listening to you read it like that. Uh, And someone, Dirk Stabbins, (laughs) said, So, Phil, I've been meaning to ask, did you get your degree from Miskatonic? I believe you live near Arkham. And those are hp lovecraft references maybe they checked out my video where um it includes a sample of a uh hp lovecraft audiobook i recorded i'm a huge lovecraft fan and i responded a fellow lovecraft fan smiley face emoticon but i'll go back to uh twitter oh and this is kind of germane to what i was just saying Jermaine jackson um oh yeah so after i said i hope we can remain friendly and all that he said uh who, in your opinion, is responsible for black crime? And I replied, and this wasn't meant to be like me being a wise ass, but it kind of reads that way because I think I literally was laughing. I said, uh, the people committing the crime, lol. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, it's like, duh. And, and I, I think, uh, but in fairness to Rue, you know, I think he he thought I was like this complete bleeding heart. And he thought I was saying, you know, everyone should be let off the hook just because, um, there might be some after effects from, uh, slavery and Jim Crow or whatever. And I said, definitely believe in personal responsibility. There may be environmental factors, but that doesn't let anyone off the hook. And then Rue says, if it doesn't let anyone off the hook, then why are you talking about irrelevant things? Well, I I don't think whether or not past events, uh, help to explain the present. I don't think that's irrelevant. Like I said, it doesn't let anyone off the hook, but I think it's good just to understand. Uh, I I think it's good to understand history and, uh, you know, we should try to have as much insight as we can into history, into the past to give us a better understanding of the present. And even if we don't, you know, we're not letting people off the hook for the crimes they commit, I think it does humanize us in a way if we do understand maybe what factors make this group situation the way it is, at least to some degree. I don't know if I'm sounding like a bleeding heart again or what. And then uh, Rue says, why not go into a speech about evolution? That explains the present too, or is that irrelevant? And then I really, it really did go over my head a little, and I was trying to make sense of what Rue was getting at with that analogy. But I responded, uh, and it may have came off sarcastically, I think I'm missing the nuance of the analogy, but evolution does indeed have a great amount to do with the present. But I don't know if maybe Rue is trying to make this, the point that I made a minute or two ago, that yeah, even if we are shaped by certain factors and environmental pressures, and even if our behavior to some degree, or how we turn out is a matter of cause and effect, um, that you know, the buck has to stop somewhere, you can't go all the way back, um, you know, ad infinitum, uh, trying to pass the buck or whatever. Uh, maybe that's what he was getting at. With uh, why not go into a speech about evolution? You know, because evolution is even further back than slavery. Um, and then Rue says, Describe the nuanced difference between explaining and making excuses for. And I actually don't understand that, but I think he touches on something important, which is what I've been kind of groping at here, that there is a difference between explaining and making excuses for. And I think that's exactly what I was doing. I was trying to explain what factors might play a role and why there's a disproportionate amount of poverty and crime in the black community. And I was trying to do that in a somewhat dispassionate, objective way, trying to explain what causes or factors there there may be, not making excuses, not letting anyone off the hook. There can only be so many possible reasons, you know, if you boil it down, why a given group would be experiencing more poverty and crime than another group, you know, and, uh, one possible reason is socioeconomic factors, um, and no that that doesn't excuse the crime for the umpteenth time it just helps to explain it and what's the other possibility that black people are troglodytes that they're wicked and bestial <laughs> that crime is in their nature you know what i mean that they're more primitive than us i mean what are the what are the possibilities Um, And so, you know, here we go into that kind of ugly, controversial area about the IQs again. So let's say if, as that other person was saying, and as the articles I'm going to read will touch on, if IQ is generally lower on average in a certain group, and if you could convincingly prove a correlation between low IQ and criminality, then you might be able to say hey, this group may very well be more inclined towards criminal behavior or something like that. And who knows, as ugly as it sounds, maybe that could be like a small factor. But most black people I meet seem to be at least of average intelligence. You know, they're not standing there with their finger up their nose, you know, counting one, two, five or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, My guess is, even if that was a small factor, it's still most, mostly socioeconomic, you know, even if their situation was as much as rude as one to hear it. And, I, and I, I'm not saying I know this for certain, but it could be because as a people, they kind of started out with one hand tied behind their back or whatever, you know, um, even after slavery was abolished, you still had segregation, racism, Blacks basically marginalize. So let's say you have that and you have people who lack opportunities. Some of them might be self sufficient enough and uh, driven enough to make their own opportunities and and get out of that situation. But a lot of people, you know, it, it goes down through the generations. I mean, once again, I'm not saying this excuses criminal behavior. I'm trying to look at this not as some bleeding heart liberal, but just someone trying to use logic and reason to suss out why a certain group might be experiencing more crime and poverty. Um, Well, we know this particular group started off as slaves. We know even after they got their freedom, they were marginalized, uh, Treated as subhuman. So they probably didn't have great opportunities. Ended up being relegated to ghetto-like neighborhoods. And generation after generation, poverty and crime fester. Some people are able to pull themselves out of it. Or to help their, you know, lift their kids out of it. Others, not so lucky or without the inner fortitude to... uh make a better life or whatever uh, for themselves and their kids. And, and that's maybe one part of the puzzle. And another part of the puzzle might be, you know, it's human nature that, and this kind of ties into what I just said. As humans, so much of what we know and how we see the world is learned experience. So if your parents weren't able to get a good education and they come from a crap neighborhood Maybe you're not able to get a good education. You're stuck in the same crap neighborhood. And this kind of goes on generation after generation. And you know, you might, despite your tough upbringing, you might turn out to be a great kid who kind of breaks the cycle, focuses on education, uh, blazes a bright path for yourself. Or you might be someone who knocks over the corner liquor store, joins a gang or something. And if you're the person who knocks over a liquor store, joins a gang, and hurts someone, it's not our responsibility to cry tears for you and give you a get out of jail free card. The buck has to stop somewhere. You're responsible, you know? Um, But I'm probably sounding like a bleeding heart liberal to Rue again. Uh, I don't know if I am to the rest of you. Hopefully, I'm making at least a modicum of sense. You know what I mean? And to be honest with you, I actually don't give a shit about race. The only way in which race interests me, if we want to use that term, is as someone who loves science and uh, loves not only history, but prehistory and uh, the subject of evolution, etc., cetera, I find it fascinating the idea that we all came out of Africa, that different populations settled in different areas of the map, and we developed different superficial traits and things like that. And and that might have something to do, if there really is an IQ differential or whatever, um, it could have something to do with isolated populations, um, you know, developing these superficial adaptations, maybe one of them, not just being lighter hair or lighter eyes, maybe a bigger skull size um, and thusly bigger brain size or something like that. And maybe... Uh, you know, the, the populations who settled in Asia end up developing even a bigger head size on average than the European populations. And that might explain some of the intelligence or IQ differences, if there are any. But I'm fascinated by the human story, you know, how we e- evolved, how we spread across the globe. That fascinates me. Beyond that, I mean, in my everyday life, I don't like the concept of race. I don't like the idea of people being divided into, you know, different groups of categories based on skin color, superficial differences, etc. So in a sense, I fell kind of ass-backwards into uh, this situation. And I might be digging the hole deeper with people who are actually sympathetic to my side (laughs) by bringing up all of this controversial, uh, race and IQ stuff. Oh, and, oh, and regarding Rue's, uh, evolution analogy, I said, I wasn't trying to be cheeky. I was literally having trouble with the analogy, no slight or sarcasm intended. Oh yeah. And, and I read that tweet about how he said, if it doesn't let people off the hook, uh, you know, legacy of slavery, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, every time I say it, I'm I'm so self conscious now. But uh, but you know, I said um, I definitely believe in personal responsibility. There may be environmental factors, but that doesn't let anyone off the hook. And Rue says, if it doesn't let anyone off the hook. Then why are you talking about irrelevant things? I already explained that. And I said, uh, I only brought it up because I was responding to a flying monkey's comment about race. He brought up races and neighborhoods. And that was the person who was a little critical of me. Not too bad, you know. Uh, It was fairly respectful. But they said, um, whether or not you believe in race, you still better be aware of what neighborhood you're in, you know. And I made a joke about how his flying monkeys were getting me in trouble, (laughs) with their questions and then uh i don't know if i should um read their handle on the air or not because i don't want to earn them anyone's ire but i thought it was a really good statement um i don't know i'm just trying to decide right now if they'd want me to read yeah what the hell they were brave enough to say it uh in a public YouTube comment thread. So I'll, cr- I'll give them the credit. I think they deserve properly. Blaze Cunningham, and he says, uh, people are committing crimes just people. Some one color, others are another. Who is committing the most crime is something you keep going on about. But what about the fact that, and I think he's addressing Rue, but what about the fact that a lot of people are still fucked? What about people of all stripes who think that they, personally, can act however they see fit and do every day? If no black person ever broke the law from this day forth, vast swaths of the world would never notice. And seeing as how American cities are still segregated to a large extent, a large percentage of white Americans wouldn't notice either. Sometimes I think AIU is absolutely not a racist, but he is a cannibal and dines heartily on the flesh of his own. When are you going to move on? Who is committing the most crime is all you got. Posts and vids like this are why I'm getting burnt out on you. Kindest regards from someone who used to think you were pretty cool. I backed you in AA shitstorm. That probably means a uh amazing atheist. But you ain't shut up about it since. And you and I know you only went after them for attention. They bit harder than anyone else. Our secret. Ta-ta. And uh, there's a little bit of venom in there. Uh, but... I'm not trying to get into a pissing match with Rue, even on Twitter and on YouTube here. Personally, I I was trying to keep things as civil and as lighthearted and good-natured as possible. But I think I get his point about, you know, why keep harping on which group commits the most crime, I I guess. Um, I mean, if there is a problem with crime amongst a certain group, yeah it should be addressed so we can try to remedy the situation and bring down the uh the crime level the, the crime rate but i don't know what getting people worked up about race over and over again necessarily accomplishes and so i mean just because his channel started out being a channel about atheism doesn't mean he has to stick to that he can talk about whatever he wants but yeah it's kind of drifted far from a uh, standard uh, atheist fair and it's it's gone into race and i know he's kind of resentful of standard atheist fair he's taken shots at like Jacqueline glenn for uh talking about the difference between agnosticism and atheism you know saying something to the fact you know in the year 2015 you know you're got to talk about you know that old rehashed shit you know um i i don't think it's bad to talk about that stuff uh you know people like us uh like rue and I I think we're probably both gen Xers, people like us who've been around for a while and we feel like we 've known the names Dawkins and Hitchens forever. You know, we've watched countless atheist versus theist debates. We might feel like some of this stuff is old and stale, but there's always new atheists coming up. There's always people who are hearing this stuff for, you know, the first time. And the reason why I talked about the Dylan Roof case was I don't like intellectual dishonesty. I mean, I've mentioned numerous times on the show how I don't like Jenks' uh, Muslim apologetics. You know what I mean? And I like when... Rue holds him accountable. Um, and I thought Cenk was either being uh, intentionally dishonest or at best he was just deluded and mistaken when it came to what the judge in the uh, Dylan Roof case said. And I thought Rue's takedown of Cenk was perceptive and poignant enough that. It had an effect on me, and I wanted to talk about it in a video of my own, or in an episode of my podcast. I actually thought he did pretty good work there. And though the funny thing is, I know Rue hates uh, the Amazing Atheist, but on the Drunken Peasants recently, TJ Kirk, the Amazing Atheist himself, actually said in a moment of you know candid honesty that he thought Rue's takedown of Jenk. You know, in that video on the Dylan Roof case, he thought it was good. He agreed with uh, with atheism is unstoppable on that uh, on that count, and it's it's all a matter of opinion. Some people might like listening to Roo talk about um, all these run ins between black youths and uh, the police, and whether or not these are or aren't. Uh, examples of police brutality or whatever um or or racial profiling or whatever uh some people might like his videos on that stuff other people like me prefer you know the ones where he kind of calls people out on their apologetics and things like that uh but he doesn't know me anything i'm not the arbiter of, of what should or shouldn't be on his channel that's all him man i mean And he must be doing something right because he has a huge, you know, he has a huge fan base. He has a a huge audience and he, I'll I'll credit him with this. He's often humble in the way that he insists that he has a, a small YouTube following, um, but no, small is my YouTube following. <laughs> my channel, my my numbers are minuscule. You know, they're Lilliputian compared to uh, Rue's. So he doesn't have to take my advice, man. He's, I mean, he's doing all right for himself. But, I mean, I can just give my personal opinion and go on, you know, what some other people are saying. I mean, people left the Young Turks and went to Rue because they got sick of, jank's political correctness and his muslim apologetics but it looks like you know just judging by the way some people are reacting by constantly harping on race you might be having a similar effect on some of your faithful listeners but but this how i'm talking right now this is my idea of being harsh this is how i criticize people (laughs) so not too bad right But the only reason why I'm even kind of half-heartedly, I guess, you know, criticizing Rue is because I think I've kind of earned the right in a sense because he didn't hesitate to tear into me. It's like 75% of my video was probably me saying things he agreed with. And because of one relatively short segment in which I'm giving an off-the-cuff answer to a YouTube comment about race, just because I bring up slavery or whatever as a possible factor that makes him totally shift gears, you know, from, I'm sorry you got, you know, bombarded or whatever with monkey feces. My flying monkeys are overzealous. They know not what they do to I'm a regressive beta male. Uh, I'm plagued with white guilt, Uh, sad, fail, you know what I mean? Ugh. But I want to touch on intellectual honesty again, because that's why I'm dredging up all this kind of ugly, controversial stuff about race and IQ, because I want to hold myself accountable. I want to make sure that I'm not putting political correctness before the facts, no matter how ugly the facts may be. So I kind of resent the idea that I'm some just milk toast beta male or something like that. Who puts political correctness um before the actual facts and i don't even necessarily know how this subject is relevant to who is or isn't a beta male or an alpha male i mean maybe my crime is wanting to take a fair approach to race and what causes higher rates of poverty and crime in certain groups and uh as I said, during a segment which was just off the cuff and in response to a random commenter who brought up race. And I felt like I had to say it, not because, not to be politically correct, but just to make sure people understood when I, when I agreed with this person that you wouldn't want to find yourself in the wrong neighborhood at night, that I wasn't saying that because the people who live in that neighborhood are by nature savage subhuman violent animals that there might be factors why that neighborhood is rough and why different people have this tribalistic approach to people of different of a different skin color who looks different than they do um i guess that was my big crime you know what i mean Okay, but I'm finally getting around to those articles, so I hope uh, at least some of you are still with me by this point. And this first one is originally from Slate Online, and it's entitled "Created Equal: Race, Genes and Intelligence" by William. It looks like Saltin or Salatin. And this goes back to uh, 2007, I think. So here we go. Among white Americans, the average IQ as of a decade or so ago was 103. Among Asian Asian Americans, it was 106. Among Jewish Americans, it was 113. Among Latino Americans, it was 89. Among African Americans, it was 85. Around the world, studies find the same general pattern. Whites, 100. East Asians, 106. Sub-Saharan Africans, 70. One IQ table shows 113 in Hong Kong, 110 in Japan, and 100 in Britain. White populations in Australia, Canada, Europe, New Zealand, South Africa, and the United States score closer to one another than to the worldwide black average. It's been that way for at least a century. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, Declaration of Independence. Last month, James Watson, the legendary biologist, was I actually remember this story, was condemned and forced into retirement after claiming that African intelligence wasn't the same as ours. Racist, vicious, and unsupported by science, said the Federation of American Scientists. Utterly unsupported by scientific evidence, declared the U.S. government supervisor of genetic research." The New York Times told readers that when Watson implied that black Africans are less intelligent than whites, he hadn't a scientific leg to stand on. I wish these assurances were true. They aren't. Tests do show an IQ deficit, not just for Africans relative to Europeans, but for Europeans relative to Asians. Economic and cultural theories have failed to explain most of the pattern, and there's strong preliminary evidence that part of it is genetic. It's time to prepare for the possibility that equality of intelligence, in the sense of racial averages on tests, will turn out not to be true. If the suggestion makes you angry, if you find the idea of genetic racial advantages outrageous, socially corrosive, and unthinkable, you're not the first to feel that way. Many Christians are going through a similar struggle over evolution. Their faith in human dignity rests on a literal belief in Genesis. To them, evolution isn't just another fact. It's a threat to their whole value system. As William Jennings Bryan put it during the Scopes Trial, Evolution meant elevating supposedly superior intellects, eliminating the weak, paralyzing the hope of reform, jeopardizing the doctrine of brotherhood, and undermining the sympathetic activities of a civilized society. The same values equality, hope, and brotherhood are under scientific threat today, but this time the threat is racial genetics, and the people struggling with it are liberals. Evolution forced Christians to bend or break. They could insist on the Bible's literal truth and deny the facts, as Brian did or they could seek a subtler account of creation and human dignity. Today, the dilemma is yours. You can try to reconcile evidence of racial differences with a more sophisticated understanding of equality and opportunity, or you can fight the evidence and hope it doesn't break your faith. I'm for reconciliation. Later this week, I'll make that case. But if you choose to fight the evidence, here's what you're up against. Among white Americans, the average IQ as of a decade or so ago was 103. Among Asian Americans, it was 106. Among Jewish Americans, it was 113. Among Latino Americans, it was 89. Among African Americans, it was 85. Around the world, studies find the same general pattern. Whites, 100. East Asians, 106. Sub-Saharan Africans, 70. One IQ table shows 130. 13 in Hong Kong, 110 in Japan, and 100 in Britain. White populations in Australia, Canada, Europe, New Zealand, South Africa, and the United States score closer to one another than to the worldwide black average. It's been that way for at least a century. That's the part I just read. Sorry about that, but the article repeats it. Remember, these are averages, and all groups overlap. You can't deduce an individual's intelligence from her ethnicity. The only thing that you can reasonably infer is that anyone who presumes to rate your IQ based on the color of your skin is probably dumber than you are. So what should we make of the difference in averages? We don't like to think IQ is mostly inherited, but we've all known families who are smarter than others— Twin and sibling studies, which can sort genetic from environmental factors, suggest more than half the variation in IQ scores is genetic. A task force report from the American Psychological Association indicates it might be even higher. The report doesn't conclude that genes explain racial gaps in IQ, but the tests on which racial gaps are biggest happen to be the tests on which genes as measured by cooperative sibling performance exert the biggest influence. How could genes cause an IQ advantage? The simplest pathway is head size. I thought head measurement had been discredited as Eurocentric pseudoscience. I was wrong. In fact, it's been bolstered by MRI. Must mean uh, magnetic resonance imaging. On average, Asian American kids have bigger brains than white American kids, who in turn have bigger brains than black American kids. This is true even though the order of body size and weight runs in the other direction. The pattern holds true throughout the world and persists at death, as measured by brain weight. According to twin studies, 50% to 90% of variation in head size and brain volume is genetic. And when it comes to IQ, size matters. The old head science of head measurement found a 20% correlation of head size with IQ. The new science of MRI finds at least a 40% correlation of brain size with IQ. One analysis calculates that brain size could easily account for five points of the black-white IQ gap. I know it sounds crazy, but if you approach the data from other directions, you get the same results. The more black and white scores differ on a test, the more performance on that test correlates with head size and a measure of test emphasis on general intelligence. You can debate the reality, but you can't debate the reality of head size. And when you compare black and white kids who score the same on IQ tests, their average difference in head circumference is zero. And I think that's an important thing to take into consideration, and we should kind of hang our hats on that, no pun intended, hang our hats on that big head, Um, that when you do have a white kid and a black kid who have the same head size, they're basically of equal intelligence, you know, so it might be some kind of weird adaptation, you know, there's lots of little superficial physical differences that even though we're the same exact species that, um, certain, shall we say, quote unquote, racial groups do have different, uh, physical characteristics to some extent. And of course, we know climate has a lot to do with it. In Africa, you have people with tighter hair, uh, supposedly the theory goes, it provides a kind of cooling ventilation, um, and they have darker skin, which is, you know, packed with melanin, um a substance which helps protect the skin from the sun. And when human populations moved to, say, Europe to colder climes, the hair got looser. You didn't need as much melanin, so the skin and eyes got lighter in the hair. And so head size is probably something like that. So maybe there are populations that have a larger head size on average, and a benefit of that might be, you know, a boost in IQ. That doesn't mean... We should look at populations who have a smaller head size on average as any less, or that we shouldn't see them as human beings and equals. you know that's crazy, so I think if there's any ray of hope <laughs> or sunlight and all this it's it's that you know what I mean that it, this thing with the head size is probably just some minor genetic adaptation that formed. When uh, certain populations were isolated from others on the on the map uh, over time, but it doesn't mean that anyone out there, despite skin color or whatever, is any less of a human being than the next guy. However, however big or how small your head might be, okay. But continue. I'll go on a little bit longer. Scientists have already identified genes that influence brain size and vary by continent. Whether they play a role in racial IQ gaps, nobody knows. But we should welcome this research, because any genetic hypothesis about intelligence ought to be clarified and tested. Critics think IQ tests are relative. They measure fitness for success in our society, not in other societies. In a hunter-gatherer society, IQ will still be important. But if a hunter cannot shoot straight, IQ will not bring food to the table, argues psychologist Robert Sternberg. In a warrior society, physical prowess may be equally necessary to stay alive. It's a good point, but it bolsters the case for a genetic theory. Nature isn't stupid. If Africans, Asians, and Europeans evolved different genes. The reason is that their respective genes were suited to their respective environments. In fact, there's a mountain of evidence that differential evolution has left each population with a balance of traits that could be advantageous or disadvantageous. Depending on circumstances, the list of differences is long and intricate. On average, compared with whites, blacks mature more quickly in the womb, are born earlier, and develop teeth, strength, and dexterity earlier. Uh, 18 dexterity In Dungeons & Dragons parlance, they sit, crawl, walk, and dress themselves earlier. They reach sexual maturity faster, and they have better eyesight. On each of these measures, East Asians lag whites and blacks. In exchange, East Asians get longer lives and bigger brains. How that happened isn't clear. Everyone agrees that three populations separated 40,000 to 100,000 years ago. Even critics of racial IQ genetics accept the idea that through natural selection, environmental differences may have caused abilities such as distance running to become more common in some populations than in others. Possibly genes for cognitive complexity became so crucial in some places that nature favored them over genes for developmental speed and vision. If so, fitness for today's world is mostly dumb luck. If we lived in a savanna, kids programmed to mature slowly and grow big brains would be toast. Instead, we live in the world of zoos, supermarkets, pediatricians, pharmaceuticals, and information technology. Genetic advantages, in other words, are culturally created. Not that that's much consolation if you're stuck in the 21st century with a low IQ. Tomorrow, we'll look at some of the arguments against the genetic theory, blah, blah, blah. And then this goes on for like page after page. I think I gave you, I think I gave you guys enough of uh, that. You know what's probably akin to, and I think I've used this analogy before in the past. You know, all dogs are the same exact species and in fact there's so little genetic difference between dogs and wolves that essentially it's safe to say that dogs are wolves but of course we know genetically dogs are very malleable and uh even with other domestic animals we we don't see this kind of genetic plasticity where we can get these crazy results where you can have a Great Dane or you can have a Chihuahua. You know, you can get creatures that might have little variations in uh, maybe intelligence or performance. Um, Like, say, Australian sheepdogs, I think, are are one of the... uh, Or is it Border Collies? Actually, I think they're both really smart. But dogs like that that were bred to wrangle sheep and herd livestock needed to be more intelligent, perhaps, than other dogs. They needed to be able to remember more commands and to be able to coordinate and sync up with uh, other working dogs in order to successfully herd animals. So whether you're talking about an Irish wolfhound or an English bulldog, they can look physically different. They can be better or worse at certain given tasks, but they're all still dogs. The same genetic species. And here's another one from uh, the New York Times. And this is from uh, the Brookings Institution Press. And it's entitled, The Black-White Test Score Gap. I think it's actually a book excerpt. African Americans currently score lower than European Americans on vocabulary, reading, and mathematics tests as well as on the tests that claim to measure scholastic aptitude and and intelligence. The gap appears before children enter kindergarten, and it persists into adulthood. It has narrowed since 1970, but the typical American black still scores below 75% of the American whites on most standardized tests. On some tests, the typical American black scores below more than 85% of whites. The black-white test score gap does not appear to be an inevitable fact of nature. It is true that the gap shrinks only a little when black and white children attend the same schools. It is also true that the gap shrinks only a little when black and white families have the same amount of schooling, the same income, and the same wealth. But despite endless speculation, no one has found genetic evidence indicating that blacks have less innate intellectual ability than whites. And so this directly opposes um, that last article in that regard. But I guess both could be right in a way because it's saying there's no genetic evidence that blacks have less innate intellectual ability than whites. But we know that stuff about on average, certain groups have bigger or smaller heads and there's a correlation between head or brain size and IQ. But then again, maybe um, if you take into consideration what I said earlier, that silver lining, that if a black child and a white child or a black person and a white person – Both have the same head size. They basically have the same IQ as well. Uh, And there's not one that's uh, innately more intelligent than the other when that's taken into consideration. Thus, while it is clear that eliminating the test score gap would require enormous effort by both blacks and whites and would probably take more than one generation, we believe it can be done. This conviction rests mainly on three facts. When black or mixed-race children are raised in white rather than black homes, their pre-adolescence test scores rise dramatically. Black adoptees' scores seem to fall in adolescence, but this is what we would expect if, as seems likely, their social and cultural environment comes to resemble that of other black adolescents and become less like that of the average white adolescent. Even nonverbal IQ scores are sensitive to environmental change. Scores on nonverbal IQ tests have risen dramatically throughout the world since the 1930s. The average white scored higher on the Stanford Bennett in 1978 than 82% of whites who took the test in 1932. Such findings reinforce the implication of adoption studies. Large environmental changes can have a large impact on test performance. And this must be the uh, third factor. Black-white differences in academic achievement have also narrowed throughout the 20th century. The best trend data come from the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which has been testing 17-year-olds since 1971 and has repeated many of the same items year after year. The black-white reading gap narrowed from 1.25 standard deviations in 1971 to 0.69 standard deviations in 1996. The math gap fell from 1.33 to 0.89 standard deviations. When Min Tsung, I'm horrible at Asian names, uh, Huang and Robert Hauser analyzed vocabulary scores for adults born between 1909 and 1969, the black-white gap also narrowed by half. Oh no, here we go, here we go. Am I going to get a little bit of vindication? In a country as racially polarized as the United States, no single change taken in isolation could possibly eliminate the entire legacy of slavery and Jim Crow or usher in an era of full racial equality. But if racial equality is America's goal, reducing the black-white test score gap would probably do more to promote this goal than any other strategy that commands broad political support. Reducing the test score gap is probably both necessary and sufficient for substantially reducing racial inequality in educational attainment and earnings changes in education and earnings would in turn help reduce racial differences in crime, health and family structure, although we do not know how large these effects would be. So I was just getting a little excited there because even this, you know, this article or this excerpt brings up what made me a bleeding heart liberal mentioning the uh legacy of, you know, slavery, Jim Crow or whatever. And no, once again, it does not excuse your bad behavior. It does not give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. It merely helps explain some of the factors at work and how we got where we are. Eh. And I think I mentioned something in one of my tweets uh, that I didn't see for some reason that that uh, thread. Where I made a joke to Rue about how I have kind of a talent for pissing off people on both sides of an of an argument. I'm kind of a, a philosopher standing in the middle of the road, and I know it sounds so it sounds arrogant and presumptuous to call yourself a philosopher, but I guess I am, even an amateur one, you know, armchair philosopher. I like to think a lot. I like to wrestle with the big existential questions, I guess. That kind of technically makes me one. But it's funny, you know, there's the old saying about how a person, you know, who stands in the middle of the road gets run over or something, kind of saying that it's better to pick a side, you know. Than but, and maybe it's the whole Eastern philosophy thing. You know, I, I mentioned uh, my affection for Buddhism and that it, the story of the historical buddha last week where i think wisdom lies with the middle path i i think by staying calm weighing the evidence on both sides trying to see you know what conclusion it points to that's the wise path and uh and the honest path um i don't feel like people should Go to extremes just because they feel like they need to pick a side. Usually, in most cases, extremism is bad. But, uh, but yeah, in a way, though, you know, metaphorically speaking, you do put yourself at risk of being run over and <laughs> standing in the middle of the metaphorical road. Because, like this episode right here, I could earn the ire of Rue because of what he sees as my regressive beta male leanings. At the same time, I could earn the ire of progressives and liberals because they think that just by daring to mention this topic and wrestle with it a bit, I'm a racist or something, which anyone who listens to this show regularly knows I am not. And if the way I got in trouble in the beginning here... Is because of my, um, I guess what some people see, a a too maybe liberal or something uh, stance on uh, race or progressive or whatever. I know Rue identifies as a liberal. I do take what I hope is a humanistic stance on race, but I, I think it's a balanced and factual one too. You know, I don't know. And here's an article from Psychology Today, and it's written by Satoshi Kanazawa. Satoshi-san. He calls himself the scientific fundamentalist. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. Or fund- we've just been conditioned to think fundamentalist is a bad word. But, but if he literally puts his faith in the fundamentals of science, that's a real good thing. But anyway, uh, it's entitled... Why criminals are less intelligent than non criminals. Criminologists have long known that criminals, on average, have lower intelligence than the general population, but they do not know why. The hypothesis may be able to shed new light on this question. From the perspective of the hypothesis, there are two important points to note. First, much of what we call interpersonal crime today, such as murder, assault, robbery, and theft, were probably routine means of intrasexual male competition in the ancestral environment. This is how men likely competed for resources and mating opportunities for much of human evolutionary history. They beat up and killed each other, and they stole from each other if they could get away with it. We may infer this from the fact that behavior that would be classified as criminal if engaged in by humans, like murder, rape, assault, and theft, are quite common among other species. The criminologist Lee Ellis documented many instances of these quote-unquote criminal behavior among different species, with photographs, in 1998. The primatologist Franz de Waal and his colleagues have documented brutal murders, assaults, and other interpersonal violence among chimpanzees, bonobos, and capuchin monkeys. Not bonobos! They're supposed to be the friendly, sexy chimps. The kinder, gentler lesbian chimps. (laughs) I love bonobos. (laughs) But, uh... Second, the technologies and institutions that control, detect, and punish criminal behavior in society today, CCTV cameras, DNA fingerprinting, the police, the courts, the prisons, are all evolutionarily novel. There was very little formal third-party enforcement of norms in the ancestral environment. Only second-party enforcement, retaliation from vigilance by victims and their kin and allies, or informal third-party enforcement, ostracism. It therefore makes sense, from the perspective of the hypothesis, that men with low intelligence may be more likely to resort to evolutionarily familiar means of competition for resources, theft rather than full-time employment, and mating opportunities rape rather than computer dating and not to comprehend fully the consequences of criminal behavior imposed by evolutionarily novel entities of law enforcement. Men with lower intelligence are less likely truly to comprehend evolutionarily novel entities. Some of these... some of these evolutionarily novel entities are alternative means to resource acquisition, an accumulation they could pursue instead of evolutionarily familiar means, which are now classified as criminal in civilized societies. Other evolutionarily novel entities they are less likely truly to comprehend are means that law enforcement agencies employ to detect and capture criminals. The hypothesis, therefore, offers one possible explanation for the negative association between intelligence and criminality. At the same time, the hypothesis also offers a novel hypothesis with regard to intelligence and criminality. As I mentioned above, while formal third-party enforcement of norms is evolutionarily novel, second-party enforcement and informal third-party enforcement are evolutionarily familiar. Thus, the hypothesis would predict that the difference in intelligence between criminals and non-criminals will disappear in situations where formal third-party enforcement of norms is weak or absent. Lord of the Flies. And criminal behavior is controlled largely via second-party enforcement, such as situations of prolonged anarchy and statelessness. In fact, any situation that resembles the ancestral environment, paradoxically, the hypothesis would predict that less intelligent men will commit fewer crimes if the police disappeared, although more intelligent men may commit more crimes then. And the reason why I read that is because of the speculation about whether or not Um, certain groups have different head sizes on average and thusly different IQs on average and whether or not there's a correlation between low IQ and criminality. Uh, So would you find more criminal behavior uh, among certain groups or whatever? But does say that The difference in intelligence between criminals and non-criminals will disappear in situations where formal third-party enforcement of norms is weak or absent, and criminal behavior is controlled largely via second-party enforcement. So, I mean, if you live in a crime-infested neighborhood, uh, you might turn to crime because crime seems more widely accepted, even if you're of average or higher intelligence. But then again, if you're not the uh, sharpest knife in the draw... That might cause you to turn towards criminal behavior. I'm kind of, uh, this is all kind of above my pay grade, but it's all definitely food for thought. And here's an article. I don't think uh, the rule will like this one. This is from uh, the Brookings Institute as well. And this is by Glenn C. Lowry, An American Tragedy, The Legacy of Slavery Lingers in Our Cities, Ghettos. "...the United States of America, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, began as a slave society, what can rightly be called the original sin. Slavery has left an indelible print on our nation's soul. A terrible price had to be paid in a tragic, calamitous civil war." before this new democracy could be rid of that most undemocratic institution. But for black Americans, the end of slavery was just the beginning of our quest for democratic equality. Another century would pass before the nation came fully to embrace that goal. Even now, millions of Americans, recognizably of African descent, languish in societal backwaters. What does this say about our civic culture as we enter a new century? An eminent Negro man of letters, W.E.B. Du Bois. Predicted in 1903 that the issue of the 20th century would be the problem of the color line, he has been proven right. At mid-century, the astute Swedish observer of American affairs, Gunnar Myrtle, reiterated the point, declaring the race problem to be our great national dilemma and fretting about the threat it posed to the success of our democratic experiment. Dubois must have relished the irony of having a statue named Liberty oversee the arrival in New York's harbor of millions of foreigners, Tempest-tossed and yearning to breathe free, even as black southern peasants, not alien, just profoundly alienated, were kept unfree at the social margins. And Myrtle observed a racist ideology that openly questioned the Negro's human worth, survive our defeat of the Nazis, and abate only when the Cold War rivalry made it intolerable that the quote-unquote leader of the free world should be seen to preside over a regime of racial subordination. The sharp contrast between America's lofty ideals on the one hand and the seemingly permanent second-class status of the Negroes on the other put the onus on the nation's political elite to choose the nobility of their civic creed over the comfort of long-standing social arrangements. Ultimately, they did so. Viewed in historic and cross-national perspective, the legal and political transformation of American race relations since World War II represents a remarkable achievement. Powerfully confirming the virtue of our political institutions, official segregation, which some southerners as late as 1960 were saying would live forever, is dead. The caste system of social denomination enforced with open violence has been eradicated, whereas two generations ago most Americans were indifferent or hostile to blacks' demands for equal citizenship rights. Now the ideal of equal opportunity is upheld by our laws and universally embraced in our politics. A large and stable black middle class has emerged, and black participation in the economic, political, and cultural life of this country... At every level and in every venue has expanded impressively. This is good news. In the final years of this traumatic, exhilarating century, it deserves to be celebrated. And this article is dated uh, 97. Today's race problem. Nevertheless, anyone even vaguely aware of the social conditions in contemporary America knows we still face a problem of the color line. The dream that race might someday become an insignificant category in our civic life now seems naively utopian. In cities across the country and in rural areas of the Old South, the situation of black underclass and increasingly of the black lower working classes is bad and getting worse. No well-informed person denies this, though there is a debate over what can and should be done about it. Nor do serious people deny that, The crime, drug addiction, family breakdown, unemployment, poor school performance, welfare dependency, and general decay in these communities constitute a blight on our society, virtually unrivaled in scale and severity by anything to be found elsewhere in the industrial West. So, I mean, this article is over 15 years old, you know, but I think it's still relevant for the most part. And so I think this guy's kind of saying, you know, what I was trying to say that a lot of these problems, kind of these modern problems, drug addiction, uh, criminality, unemployment, uh, dependence on welfare, are kind of resting on a foundation of long-standing second-class status or citizenship. And once again, that is not excusing the criminal behavior or giving anyone a get-out-of-jail-free card. And if it's not letting people off the hook, then why talk about this irrelevant stuff? Well, I think knowing about the past and how it shaped the present is very relevant to all of us. If you want to fix a problem, you got to know how it started in the first place. Right, 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 right. It's my uh, Cenk Uyghur impersonation. Um, but I think I've gone on enough. Uh, so most likely. I piss people off on both sides, Um, which is not what I set out to do. I set out to be fair, objective, and hopefully humane. (laughs) Uh, But at the end of the day, I don't care whose head is bigger or smaller, uh, which group genetically is, is more predisposed to lower or higher intelligence. We're all human beings, we're all homo sapiens, uh, and we should all have some basic respect for one another. And if that makes me a beta male, I mean, I'm not a beta male, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, I do know in biological or zoological parlance, you know, the difference between an alpha and a beta male, but uh, I don't know what makes one person a beta male and what doesn't in human society is an alpha male, someone who treats people like shit and just uh, plows their way through the world. Um, Or maybe according to Rue, an alpha male is someone who has enough balls to not worry about being uh, politically incorrect or whatever. But I've never been one to sacrifice the facts for political correctness. If I state anything that was factually wrong in the last episode or two, it was because that's what I thought to be true at the moment, given the facts or lack thereof that I had in the moment. Next week, I'll probably go on to something less controversial. I know one of my new subscribers, um, brought up Shintoism and, uh, Confucianism. So I don't know, maybe, you know, and, uh, I studied Eastern religion for a long time, and I was into Buddhism for a long time, even though I'm a non-believer, and I never really believed in karma or bodhisattvas or any of that stuff, you know, literally. But I found the tenets of Buddhism and uh, things like meditation to be very beneficial. But I never really delved too deeply into the study of like of Shintoism and Confucianism, all that deeply. I've always had kind of a surface understanding of them. Maybe I'll take a look at those next week. I need a break from all the drama and controversy. Um, But all right. I'm tired. Until next week. Oh, yeah, and you guys know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, If you want to donate to the show, if you don't think I'm some horrible fucking racist, you can donate to the show. Uh... Via PayPal, using the widget on the Podbean site, the Week in Doubt Podbean page. Or you can become a Patreon supporter and uh, support the show for as little as a dollar a month and uh, quit anytime you want. Just go to Patreon slash the Week in Doubt. right, brothers and sisters of all uh, colors and flavors, it's been interesting. Later.